This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. 14 years on from making it five, the Reds return to Istanbul tonight. Then, like now, Champions League success has led to a place in the UEFA Super Cup. And where CSKA Moscow were brushed aside in Monaco in 05, tonight more familiar foes stand in Liverpool's way. It may be just the third game of the new season, but already a second trophy's on the line for Jurgen Klopp's men. This is Behind Enemy Lines. I'm Guy Clark. And as Chelsea lay in wait for Liverpool tonight, we'll get a preview of the Blues ahead of kickoff. We'll discuss the appointment of club legend Frank Lampard after just one year in management. Of course, their two-window transfer ban and loss of talisman Eden Hazard will come into conversation, as well as defeat on the opening day of their new Premier League season away to Manchester United. And I'm delighted to say joining me to talk through all of that and more is Ollie Harbord, the Chelsea FC correspondent for Football.London. Ollie, thanks for your time. How are you? Very well, mate. Thank you very much for having me on. And you've made your uh, your way out to uh, Istanbul and thankfully uh, no major setbacks. No, absolutely a lovely place right now that I'm looking at uh, over over Istanbul. Looking forward to it. It's a beautiful sunshine. I think it's going to be a very hot game for both teams, even though it's quite a late kickoff out here. But yeah, looking forward to it. Um, we might as well get straight into talking about Sunday's result for Chelsea. Obviously not the, the opening that Frank Lampard or anyone at Chelsea would have wanted on the opening day, but a, a lot of the, the thoughts after the game saying, and Lampard himself, that it wasn't really a 4-0 game. Yeah, it was a really strange game, to be honest, because you never felt that Chelsea were particularly out of it um, until they just had that sort of 95 seconds or so where United scored those two quick fire goals. It was kind of a bit of the story of pre-season really that they looked very good going forward but defensively looked pretty suspect. You know, after that game on Sunday, I think it's 12 goals they conceded in the last four games including three pre-season games and that's a real worry. Obviously, they lost David Luiz uh, on transfer deadline day which didn't help um, and Kurt Zuma looked a little bit out of his, out of his depth on Sunday, which was a real shame. But it was one of those, yeah, it was very strange. They had their chances. They hit the woodwork twice. Um, you know, they should have been more ruthless in the box. And that's just where the difference was. United only had five shots on target and and four of them went in. And uh, Chelsea had way more than that and, and couldn't find the back of the net. So, you know, some positives, but some obviously some big negatives. And the defence is something they really need to sort out as quick as possible. And especially, I suppose, that, that second and third goal at Old Trafford in the way that Martial was able to get in front for the second goal and then just how quickly after that the uh, the third goal came. Yeah, absolutely. Just too easy. Way, way too easy. And actually, it goes back a little bit to last season that you know Chelsea had very good periods of play under Sarri, but then would have these moments of just you know, just letting it all too loose and and allowing the opposition to sort of take their chances and take the game away from them. And that's exactly what happened. And, you know, it was really the defences. They've not really settled together. They haven't played a lot of games together. The likes of Christensen and Zuma, you know, he changed around a lot in pre-season with David Luiz, obviously, and playing with Christensen, Zuma, Luiz, Tomori, all sort of mixing around. So it it needs a bit of time for the partnership to grow and but unfortunately they haven't got a lot of time really because Liverpool on Wednesday is going to be another tough test for them and then on to Leicester on Saturday. And talking about settling in and pre-season obviously Lampard's come in and he has settled in but the last two summers now for Chelsea they've had changes in the managerial hot seat and neither have probably been fully straightforward obviously there was the palaver with Antonio Conte waiting on to effectively be sacked before he moved on and then Chelsea waiting for Sarri to move before 
because they didn't want to sack him. They wanted him to move before then, obviously going and getting Lampard. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it can be very frustrating for the fans, you know, when, especially when you see that Sarri goes and then it's still you know ten days or so before Lampard actually gets the you know gets confirmed and then it's straight into preseason. And I do understand why that's frustrating for a lot of supporters. And you know, I think for Chelsea on Chelsea's point of view, they this summer they decided just to wait and get the best deal they can because they knew obviously they couldn't sign anyone. So it wasn't a case of needing a manager in to sort of discuss transfers and all that sort of thing. But, you know, it's difficult when you, you have a, a third manager in three seasons, the lack of continuity there. You know, the question of would Frank Lampard really be Chelsea manager if there wasn't a transfer ban? Yeah, I, I personally think they probably would have gone after someone else and with a bit more experience and also a, a more experienced manager probably would have taken the job as well. So, you know, there was a lot of question marks over the summer and, and it's a difficult job, uh, you know, especially when you don't have Eden Hazard in your team for the first first time in seven years. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into the transfer ban and obviously the implications of all of that. But front and centre of it, as you alluded to there, is Frank Lampard getting the gig in the first place. You're obviously there week in, week out at press conferences, at games, seeing sort of how he gets on. During pre-season and your initial sort of coming together with Frank Lampard, what's he like to, to deal with from the journalist's point of view? How does he come across when he is speaking to the press and, and dealing with you guys? Yeah, he's, he's good. He's, he's very confident. He's obviously a very intelligent guy as well. We knew that from his playing days. He's, you know, he's always seen as one of the more intelligent footballers um, and he really brings that across in the press conferences. He's always you know, willing to talk. He talks at great length as well. He's very confident in his players and his squad uh, what he's doing uh, and that comes across very 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 well um, you know he seems to be even though obviously Sunday was not a great result he seems to be enjoying the fact he's got this opportunity um, he knows that it's a very tough task and uh, you know the team he's got around him as well are all, are all Chelsea through and through the likes of Jody Morris as his assistant Joe Edwards Eddie Newton even Petr Cech in the background and Claude Makaleli in the background as well you know, they really brought back sort of uh, the old school when it comes to Chelsea, uh, Abramovich did. So, and, and Lampard's sort of enjoying that experience to have around everyone as well. Um, but it, of course, he knows it's a tough task, but it's, it, he's, uh, he's come across pretty well over the press conferences so far. And you mentioned, obviously, his inexperience as a manager, but he's obviously deep connections with Chelsea. And with this transfer ban, or even before that, even last summer, there was talk, obviously, with Roman Abramovich having personal issues, even trying to get into the country, that perhaps we were going to begin to see a different side to Chelsea in the next few years. The Obviously, the Youth Academy having been so successful at FA Youth Cup level, perhaps trying to bring them through. Is he, in many ways, sort of the ideal person to be put into this role because of that link he has with the fans and the fact, obviously, he had a few of the kids at Derby with him himself last season and the connections he's got in his backroom staff? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, Chelsea's academy in the, in the past has been seen as uh, something of a factory. And I understand that, you know, they churn out these very, very talented players and just sell them on to other clubs. Uh, and that's a frustrating thing for fans. But now they want to see the products coming through and actually being used uh, within the Chelsea team. And, and the, the fact they've got this transfer ban has, has facilitated that. Lampard coming in, you know, while he was doing his coaching badges, would work with the academy as well. So he knows them. As I said before, he's got Jody Morris, who was... Uh, the under-18s head coach. He's got Joe Edwards, who was the under-23s head coach as well. 
as part of his backroom staff. Eddie Newton, who was the loan uh, director, he's part of the first team staff. So he knows, you know, these guys all know those players around. If anyone's going to get time on his hands, it's going to be Frank Lampard with the fans. They showed that on Sunday, you know, clapping him off and, and cheering his name all the way through, even when the third and fourth goals went in. Uh, you know, he'll get time from the fans and he'll give time. He'll get time to hopefully develop these youngsters. As you say, he's worked with Mount and Tamori before, and there's the likes of, you know, Hudson Adoy, Reese James, uh, Tammy Abraham, these guys that that are coming through and, and hoping to be the core of Chelsea for the future. And, you know, they need to be given the chance. And when you've got a transfer ban, then there's, there's probably no better, better time to actually give them this opportunity. You're watching the game on Sunday after the match finished. I was interested to see how the Chelsea fans responded to Frank Lampard. It was the heaviest opening day defeat that Chelsea have ever had in the Premier League. I think he's the first Chelsea manager to lose his first match since Avram Grant, funnily enough, at Old Trafford as well. But when he went over to that pocket of Chelsea fans at the end of the match, they were still there screaming his name out, chanting him and everything. As you say, he was he was clapping back to them. And whilst there's this whole sort of nice pick picture that's painted of Frank Lampard returning hero as you said before when he speaks he speaks with authority and there is a clear identity of what he wants he's not just coming back because it suits he's coming back because he believes he is the man to sort of ignite this this new dawn for Chelsea yeah absolutely and I think that uh, you know the fans on Sunday appreciated actually what they saw on the pitch from the team it wasn't it wasn't from a lack of effort particularly the fact that they lost 4-0 it wasn't it wasn't tactically really that things went horrifically wrong. It was just really bad mistakes. Uh, you know, Kurt Zuma, unfortunately, did not have a very good game. Uh, Aspilicueta, who's one of their most experienced players as well, didn't have a great game. Pedro, another one who's very experienced, didn't have a great game. But they appreciated what they saw. They appreciated the style of football and the identity that he was trying to get across. But there is obviously issues there. There's no doubt about it. I think that as well on Sunday, I think they realised, you know, that a real core of the side weren't there. Antonio Rudiger, who's going to be probably the number one defender now, was is still recovering from injury. And Golo Kante didn't start the game uh, as he recovers from injury. Uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek as well, who will be another big figure, wasn't there for injury. So, that, you know, they realised, and Willian, another one, you know, they did realise that there was, there was issues through the, through the team. Um, but, you know, as I said, he will get time from the fans. There's no doubt about that. I think he'll be very... It will take a lot for them to really turn on him, um, especially as if they keep trying to play in the style of football that they did. But obviously, you know, all fans want to see results. And that's why Wednesday is actually a huge game for Chelsea, just to try and bounce back from that. You mentioned the issues defensively, obviously with, with Rudiger out injured and Azpilicueta not perhaps having his best game, coupled obviously with Kurt Zuma, who obviously was up on Merseyside last season on loan at Everton and, and did so well there. But does it make it even more perhaps bizarre that David Luiz has moved on OK past the age of 30 and we all know that Chelsea don't like to hand out very long contracts to players once they get over that age barrier? But given the experience that he would have brought to a very inexperienced squad and coaching staff, it does seem quite bizarre that he did move on for just £8 million. Yeah, it was a bit of a shock, especially as Louise only signed a new deal, a new two-year deal in, in May as well. So it wasn't like he was planning this move for a long time. But, you know, Frank Lampard talk, talked about it uh, in his press conference before the game on Sunday, basically saying that they had very honest conversations I think when a manager says there's honest conversations, it sounds like there's been a, <laughs> a bit of an argument there. But I think it just comes down to playing time. Louise, Louise is a huge figure in the in the changing room. He always has been. He's a very very nice guy as well. He's very open. Um, you know, he's he's 
a good guy to speak to in, in the mix zone. Um, but at the end of the day, he's a very influential player. And if, if you have a player there who doesn't want to be there because he's not playing, then, you know, that's, that can be very disruptive for the whole team. Um, and so I think Frank Lampard, you know, he said he didn't want to make a stand. He wasn't trying to make his mark. But to be honest, if you want to have a, a big player unhappy, it's very difficult for the rest of the squad. You know, he, uh, he obviously was told that he wasn't going to be a regular first team starter that he would get his chances, obviously, throughout the campaign because it is a long campaign, especially with the Champions League back as well, that they need uh, big players, but wasn't obviously content with that. And he saw this opportunity at Arsenal. You know, they're obviously in need of a defender because Shelny gone and, you know, question marks over Mustafi and and some others that he saw an opportunity to move on and get regular first-team football. And when you're over 13, you know, that your chances may be coming a little bit slimmer uh, than that was the, the move for him and Frank Lampard, to be fair to him, whether I, I do kind of agree, it could be seen as a little bit reckless, seeing as he's a very experienced player in a team that is lacking maybe some experience. But Lampard said, well, you know, if, you, if you're willing to move on, then, then we'll have to move on and, and get some money out of it. And that's what they've done. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. David Luiz, not the only player moving on. Eden Hazard, of course, moving on after uh, seven great years with Chelsea. Also, the likes of Gary Cahill moving on a on a free transfer, obviously. Danny Drinkwater going out very much a bit part player. and Though also in the striking department, Gonzalo Higuain's loan not turned permanent and Alvaro Morata moving permanently to Atletico Madrid, which means Chelsea are light in that striking department as well as losing their talisman Eden Hazard. Yeah, I mean, with the Eden Hazard situation, it was a it was a move that was always going to happen. And to be fair to Hazard, you know, he did want to move the previous summer. Uh, Chelsea wanted him to stay, and he accepted, and he he stayed for another year and had his best season uh, stats wise for the Blues anyway. Um, so it was always going to happen. They knew it was going to happen. Really, um, you know, they got a decent price for him in the end, with only a year left on his contract. You have to say so. Not a bad bit of business out of that, but obviously Chelsea are going to miss him massively. But, you know, again, you can't keep a player here that isn't going to be happy. And and he wanted that move and Chelsea facilitated it for him. As, as far as Alvaro Morata, you know, he's not going to be greatly missed by a lot of Chelsea fans. He made it very, very clear that he wanted to make his loan deal uh, to Atletico permanent. And Gonzalo Higuain, another one who didn't really settle at Chelsea at all and as much as Chelsea didn't really want to take him up, he didn't seem particularly keen either. So, yeah, the striker situation is a very interesting one. Tammy Abraham got the nod on Sunday, but, you know, hit the post. But then apart from that, didn't show a great amount. Olivier Giroud is going to be heavily leaned on, I think, this year. And, you know, with his experience, I think that he's a, a key player for them. And then Michi Batshuayi seems to be the third striker out now. So hopefully he can fight his way in with some good performances, but it's going to be tough for him to get a lot of games on. You mentioned Olivier Giroud. Obviously, it's the UEFA Super Cup uh, that's going to be happening against Liverpool. And Olivier Giroud, really, the man who's probably responsible for Chelsea being there in many ways. 11 goals in the Europa League last season. He was brilliant in Europe, but didn't then really get a look in, in the Premier League. Yeah, he was very frustrated with that as well. He, he spoke about it before one of the uh, Europa League games that he was, and this was before he signed the new one-year extension, that he would only do it if he was going to get more game time, he wants to be playing. Uh, he wants to be starting the starting games. Um, he was exceptional in the Europa League, really brought out the qualities that he could show. He often got the best out of Eden Hazard as well, being able to hold the ball up and bring Hazard into play and also scored some very big goals. So, 
you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he is used this season because he's not necessarily a player who fits into Frank Lampard's system particularly well. Lampard likes his players to press very high up the pitch and, and to be very mobile a lot of the time. That's not really Giroud's strength. His strength is holding the ball up and and uh, bringing others into play and being a very good target man. So, you know, we'll see how how much he is used this year, but I kind of expect him to start in the Super Cup and, and get a chance. And obviously, whilst there was a transfer ban, Chelsea obviously having done some business before the ban came into effect, Christian Pulisic joining from Borussia Dortmund and Mateo Kovacic joining, having had his loan turned permanent, which I think at one stage did confuse quite a few people, but it's because Chelsea already held his registration, was it not, that they could do that deal on a permanent? Yeah, absolutely. That's because they had registered him before, so they were allowed to... um... They were allowed to extend that, basically, uh, rather than it being a new signing, which is why they could have extended Gonzalo Higuain in the same way, but they decided not to. Uh, they got the deal done before the uh, transfer window sort of opened, so they were allowed to, and before his before his um, contract finished, sorry, his loan contract finished at the time, so they were able to do that. And Christian Pulisic, the same, obviously registered in uh, January and then loaned out to Borussia Dortmund for the rest of the season. So, you know, two players that um, that are going to be playing big parts again this season. Kovacic was not very good last year, I didn't think at all, but he's actually had a very, very good uh, summer playing in a different role, playing a slightly deeper and also had a very good game, I thought, against Manchester United at times. So I thought he, he had a, probably out of everyone someone who could hold his head up quite high after that game. Um, so, yeah, two players who, who hopefully will have a big impact and obviously the excitement around Pulisic, you know, 20 years old, very, very talented player. So hopefully he can he can bring some good stuff to Chelsea. How much pressure is on his shoulders? Because I suppose whether it's talked down internally by the club, everyone from the outside is really going to earmark him as the, the like-for-like replacement for Hazard. Yeah, absolutely. He There is a lot of pressure on him, I think. He seems to be taking it pretty well in his stride. Um, you know, it was a, a slight surprise that he didn't start on Sunday, but Frank Lampard said that he didn't want to put too much pressure on him when he hasn't been around the squad for too long. He only joined up in Japan a few weeks ago, so he hasn't been around the squad too much. Um, I expect him to, to start against Liverpool, but there is a lot of pressure on him for that role. But then, you know, not necessarily potentially always going to play on the left. I think that as a long-term vision, Chelsea see Callum Hudson-Odoi is the less starter on the left and Pulisic is the starter on the right so you know there's probably a little bit more pressure on Hudson-Odoi's shoulders really to prove it Chelsea have had a lot of put a lot of faith in him batted away some big money moves from Bayern Munich uh, and pinned him down to a new long-term deal as well so actually the it's when he comes back from injury it's going to be a lot of pressure on Hudson-Odoi to really show what he can do. Yeah, man, he's only made 12 professional starts as well as six in the the EFL trophy, but he's already got two England caps to his name. There is a lot of excitement around what he'll do, but obviously he's got that injury at the moment. Yeah, he should be. They're hoping he might be back around September time, which which would be quite a a decent recovery time from what was a a really serious Achilles rupture. so, you know, we'll, we'll see what he can bring to the Blues. But, you know, there's a lot of excitement around him. I watched him a lot for the youth team and he was cut above the rest, even when he was sort of 15, 16, playing in, in the Youth Cup and also the under-23s. Uh, and now it's time that he, to show that he can do it in the seniors. It was a very uh, confident couple of games he played for England. Um, when he got his chances in the Premier League, he hasn't quite shown what he can do yet fully. Uh, and But hopefully, you know, that will come with time and... and you know, Lampard will certainly give him the opportunities and Chelsea fans will be be pretty excited to see what he can do.
Yeah, of course, one of the uh, England under-17 World Cup winners with uh, Rianne Bruce of 2017 now, so a couple of years ago, but he is now beginning to, to knock on that first-team door, as are a number of the, the youth players, because whilst a transfer ban, I suppose, never comes at a good time, if you're a club who have won five successive FA Youth Cups before Liverpool won it last season, then I suppose this is as good a time as any to, to blood some of those young players. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, this is what a lot of Chelsea fans were calling for. They were, you know, confused about why they had one of the best academies, not just in England, but in Europe. You know, it's an academy that would often get to the, the UEFA Youth League final on a regular basis. Uh, and then they weren't being used. They were, you know, players were coming in, the likes of Drink, Danny Drinkwater and Bakayoko and Michi Batshuayi. These guys were coming in, not being that effective. Um, and then, you know, sort of fading away a little bit, which was, it's an interesting one because it does obviously seem to block the path. Now that path is very, very much there. The likes of Mount and Tamori and Reese James and Tammy Abraham, uh, Hudson Adoy, Loftus Cheek, Andreas Christensen, even, even as well, who was a, an academy product as well after his move over from Denmark. You know, these guys, they they really need to get their chance and there's not going to be a better time for them. And, and, Chelsea fans have been calling for this to happen and now it's about backing it up and showing that they actually deserve to play at senior level for Chelsea. And We, we briefly touched on them before, but Mason Mount and Fakeo Tomori were both with Lampard at Derby last year. Mount very much sort of the, the golden boy in attack alongside Harry Wilson, of course. And Tomori, though, perhaps less lesser known, but was player of the year there at Derby last year. Yeah, it was a strange one, really, especially because that was similar with Chelsea fans. You know, a lot of excitement about... Mason Mount and and what he would do on loan at Derby and and Tamori went a little bit under the radar uh, which was quite interesting and and he as you say ended up being player of the year and so you know for him this season before the David Luiz situation he was very much going to head out on loan uh, you know Everton were very keen on on taking him after their sort of quest for Kurt Zuma um, didn't come off uh, but you know now that he's he's around, he's you know the the fourth centre back, if you like, and he will get his opportunities, no doubt about it. You know if there's if there's an injury um, with the likes of the Champions League going on, the Carabao Cup, the FA Cup, you know how busy the schedule gets for the for the big teams at times. Uh, he'll get his chance, and uh, he can hopefully show that he's ready to play in the Premier League um, because he, he definitely showed that he could play in the Championship last year. A word or two on the game, and Lampard obviously mentioned a number of those young players. Unfortunately, the likes of Loftus, Cheek, Hudson, Adoy, and Reese James all injured, so they're not going to feature for some time. But with the game in mind, and Golo Kante, of course, one of the the players of the Premier League over the last three or four seasons, he was on the bench at Old Trafford. Is he likely, perhaps, to to feature? And of course, Willian, who's so fondly regarded by the Chelsea fans, obviously wasn't involved himself on Sunday at all in the matchday squad. Yeah, I would expect N'Golo Kante to probably start. Um, he suffered a knee injury before the Europa League um, final and actually played the full 90 minutes, which was pretty incredible. We were watching the open training session before that game and he didn't even take part in the session. It looked like he wouldn't take part at all. But, you know, they got him through that game, but it seems to have had something of a knock-on effect. He only played about 15, 20 minutes in pre-season. Um, he obviously came on sort of towards the end of the game at Old Trafford. I think they they would see this game as an opportunity to give him at least 60 minutes to get his match fitness back up. Uh, and hopefully that will be, you know, enough to get him back uh, ready and raring to go because it showed on Sunday just how much they do need him as well. Uh, Willian is a little bit different. He hasn't played any uh, 
pre-season after the uh, Copa America, he, he suffered an injury as well and missed the final of that. Uh, he is out with the squad, but I I wouldn't expect him to start. I think it'd be a bit of a risk to throw him straight into the starting eleven. Although I, I expect that he'll probably be on the bench and, and Lampard will be looking to give him some minutes as well, maybe towards the end of the game to try and give him a bit of match fitness. Yeah, one man who's never short of a, an opinion or two and has a mixed sort of... Uh, I suppose, reception with Chelsea fans these days, despite all of his success, despite, I think, being the, the most successful manager the club's ever had, is Jose Mourinho, who was obviously part of the Sky panel on Sunday and said about Kante, well, you, you play until half-time and then sub him, perhaps, and on Willian, well, it doesn't matter if you've not played at all, you can get through half an hour. They were, they were quite sort of thinly-veiled digs at, at Lampard's selection, really. Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's one of those, it's easier for him to say when he's, Sitting in the studio, if somebody had said that to him um, when he was managing, I could imagine the reaction that he would get. It was obviously, you know, he he criticised a little bit the the performances of uh, Abraham and Christensen and Mason Mount as well, which Frank Lampard didn't particularly like. He wasn't very impressed by the Mason Mount criticism, especially in the press conference afterwards. Um, You know, I think that the Kante one is an interesting one. He could have maybe tried to give him 60 minutes but then, you know, this is one game we're talking about the whole season now. And Kante will be such a big, big part of the whole season. Uh, and if he'd, if something had happened, if he'd gone down injured or, you know, after 20 minutes or 30 minutes, then, you know, Lampard would be kicking himself over the decision he's made. So, you know, I think for that, it's kind of a little bit move on and, and see what happens for the rest of the season because they need these guys for the long haul, not just for just for one match. And with Liverpool in mind, the game against Manchester United, the way that Chelsea played, how open they were, certainly on transition, doesn't seem to bode well all too much for, I suppose, the Chelsea point of view. I know a number of Liverpool fans rubbing their hands thinking if they can get their front three at that defence that they uh, they could be in for some joy. Absolutely, yeah. Especially that counter-attack. Uh, you know, the way that um, Liverpool players are so fast of a front three, Chelsea just couldn't handle the likes of Rashford, Lingard and and Martial at times. And that's a little bit concerning, especially when you're coming up against probably the best attack in the Premier League on Wednesday. Um, I think that's what they'll just be massively focusing on. I think that that Frank Lampard, even though that he wants his team to play in this open style, you know, high press and, and sort of fluid football, I think that, you know, Wednesday night, if they get beat, at least don't get beat heavily. I think that'll be, the, that'll be one of the messages. You know, if you lose on penalties, you lose 1-0, 2-1, whatever, that's... That can be fine, you know. However big you believe the Super Cup to be is, and how high on the list of priorities it is for Frank Lampard. But defensively, they just need to show a lot more solidity and and just put in a decent performance at the back, and hopefully the rest will follow. Well, Ollie, thanks a lot for your time. Really appreciate you taking time out to uh, to catch up with us. I would say good luck, but of course, I'm on the other side of the fence to you. <laughs> no worries. Thanks very much for, for having me on. Ollie Harbord, Chelsea FC correspondent for Football.London, here with us on the Behind Enemy Lines podcast. Well, that's it from the Blood Red channel for now. Don't forget, we'll be back after the match with post-game, bringing you instant reaction from our team out there, from Jurgen Klopp's press conference, and you, the fans. I've been Guy Clark. This has been Behind Enemy Lines. And until next time, bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.